Folks, this is Panama Today, and this is your host, Bill Wilbur, right here with music and inspiration to help you live for Jesus. And today we're going to have a little music, but I pray lots of inspiration. I want to take you into a message in which I was preaching on Judges chapter 2. Judges chapter 2. And I want to take you into that message right now that I preached recently at the Gamboa Union Church. Judges chapter 2. And without repentance... The scripture says there are consequences. And of course, Jesus Christ died on the cross, taking the curse of all those consequences to provide the free gift of guilt removed, peace in your heart, and eternal life. A reason to live, a purpose, a destiny. Jesus did all of that. But when people turn away from God ignore the promises of his blessings, those are called commandments, and don't come to Jesus who is the only one who can forgive them for their sins. There's nothing left but to face the consequences of our sins. And that's sometimes collectively as a nation. Sometimes it's as a church, the Church of Panama as an example. But we should always remember that even though this was written 1,500 years before Jesus, 3,500 years ago, the situation may have changed, the countries and the people have changed, but the heart of God has not changed. God has not changed the fact that he is holy and he hates sin. And he has not changed the fact that he forgives, that he loves you. His mercy is there. And so with that as a a basis, let me just read through Judges chapter 2. The angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Boykim. Now sometimes the angel of the Lord is Jesus himself before he was here on earth and before he was in a bodily form. And he said, I brought you up out of Egypt and led you into the land that I swore to give to your forefathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you. God will never break his part. And you shall make a covenant with the people of this land. But you shall, but you shall break down their altars. He doesn't want any compromise there. Yet you have disobeyed me. Why have you done this? Now therefore I tell you that I will not drive them out before you. They they will be thorns in your sides and their gods will be a snare to you. I just want to stop there. How many of you have ever heard the passage where it says that Paul had a thorn in the flesh, a thorn in the side? Many people say that was a physical ailment. But I'd like you to understand that Paul had a total understanding of the Old Testament when he said things like that. In the Old Testament, that thorn in the flesh or a thorn in the side was a fact that those who were opposing the gospel would continually be there to provide opposition. These would be areas of our lives where there was a compromise and we've left an opening for the enemy to do something in our lives. 
And so the scripture is saying here that because you did not drive out, because you compromised with these demon spirits, these idols, you're always going to have this snare to you. And a snare is something which trips you up. When the angel of the Lord had spoken these things to all the Israelites, the people wept aloud and they called that place Boykim. There they offered sacrifices to the Lord. After jo Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to his own inheritance. Now there were three million of them. And now they're just going off and taking the places of land. They've conquered their enemies. They were supposed to conquer them all, but they left patches that they didn't. And they're supposed to settle now in these areas and divide the land by tribes. Verse 7. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua. How many of you know Joshua got older? <laughs> I always thought of him as a young guy, see? 40. <laughs> and, um, but he got older. And he died. At the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him... And who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath-Heres, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaish. After that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers. You know what that gathered to the fathers thing is? It means they died. Right? He went to Abraham's bosom. They ended up where the others ended up. Another generation grew up and knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. Wow, what's a Baal? A Baal is a foreign deity. It is an idol. It is the male part of idol worship. And they had the female part, which is Ashtaroth. And they were fertility gods. They said it's from these gods that we receive our children. It's from these gods that the ground is fertile and we have crops. It's from these gods that we have animals who bring forth more animals. And it would be in this situation that they developed what is known as temple prostitution. Not just male prostitutes, excuse me, female prostitutes, but male prostitutes. There was homosexual activity in abundance in these days. That's not something new. It was also a time when there was the sacrifice of infants and children to these gods, to the fire. One of these gods was called Moloch. Moloch was basically a god with a big head in a little bitty body. Close to the ground, not much body, but this huge head with a great big mouth. And it was made, of course, of stone. And this mouth was always open. 
And coming out of this mouth was a long ramp. And inside the mouth, inside Moloch, is where they started fires, and the fires were burning. And they would take the child and tie him up and put him on this ramp, like a great big tongue sticking out. And then they would crank this thing into the fire and dump the baby screaming, or the teenager even, up to that age, into Moloch, offering the sacrifice of thanks for the fertility of being able to have children, of being able to have the land. We need to appease the gods to keep them happy. That was the demonic way of offering a tithe. We take something that the devil has given us and we give it back to him. And this horrible, horrible worship was the lifestyle of the whole nation. And that's why they were to drive them all out. But they didn't. And they married some of the people who were from these nations still there that they didn't drive out. And they adopted their way of worship. Instead of taking these heathen people and bringing them into the life of the temple and of worship of God, they got drawn off and entire groups of people and eventually entire parts of the nation started worshiping these uh, false gods. So we're up to verse 20. After that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, now verse 11. Did I say verse 20? I meant 10. Then 11. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of Egypt. Now let me tell you what idol worship really is. It's not just having something in your life more important than God. It's attributing to the devil or to a demon spirit or to an idol something that God did. When they came through the Red Sea, it was God Almighty who did it. When they built the golden calf, they didn't just bow down and worship a golden calf. They said, this calf is what delivered us from Egypt. That's idol worship. It's attributing to something of creation the credit for what the creator and the creator alone has done. That's the true essence of idol worship. Verse, oh, we're halfway through verse 12. They followed and worshipped various gods of the people around them. They provoked the Lord to anger. If there's one person you don't want to get mad at you, it's the Lord. Because they forsook him and served Baal and the Ashtaroth, male and female part. In his anger against Israel, the Lord handed them over to raiders, that's people, who plundered them. I want you to see that the judgment that came upon them was not through a natural disaster, but it came through other people and the Lord was letting their defenses go down and their strength wither so that the raiders, the enemies, could come in and conquer. Whereas before, no one could stand before them. Verse 14. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them. Just as he sworn to them, they were in great distress. Verse 16. 
Then the Lord raised up judges. A judge here was not one who sat on a bench and was condemning people for their actions, but a judge was one who God raised up to discern what was right and what was wrong and tell the people, this is where your problems are. This is the right way to do it. That's for the judge. And you have this whole book of the judges. Gideon was one. Samson was one. Those are a couple of more famous ones. Deborah. Okay, verse 17. Yet they would not listen to the judges, nor prostituted themselves to other gods and worship them. Isn't it interesting that they use that word? Because I want to tell you a little story. It's not true, but uh, it's an illustration. Once there was a man who decided to get married, and this young lady said she would marry him. They came out of the church. It was a wonderful wedding. They had the reception. They got in their nice car, and as they were pulling away from the church, the man said to his brand new wife, as they were on their way to their honeymoon for a couple weeks, he said, I didn't think you would mind if I just stopped by this house. I don't want to use a name because if I use a name, somebody's in here with that name. <laughs> so I just was going to stop by at this person's house and say goodbye. But it was the house of an old girlfriend. And she looked at him and said, what? You've made a commitment and a covenant with me for life, for marriage. He says, I know, I know, but I just want to stop by and say goodbye. That it was nice while it lasted, but it's goodbye. And then when I stopped there, I, I finished there. I have this one other place, this one other girlfriend. I just want to stop and say goodbye to her. I would be probably at this point at the light, the girl would jump out of the car. See? Or out of the canoe. <laughs> Depends how you're traveling. <laughs> You'd say, this is crazy. But this is what happens all the time in the church of Jesus Christ. Because through the blood of Jesus, a covenant was made. And we receive the covenant promise of God. And as we stand here, we say, Lord, I thank you for that covenant. And I receive that. An agreement has been made. A commitment has been made. And the scripture calls that spiritual adultery. And that's why that particular word is used. And that's why this particular word here, that they prostituted themselves before other gods. Unlike the fathers, they quickly turned away, turned from the way in which their fathers had walked, the way of obedience to the Lord's command. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemy as long as the judge lived. Listen to that. As long as the judge lived. Might be five, seven years. Sometimes it was 40 years. For the Lord had compassion on them as they groaned under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to the ways even more corrupt than those of their fathers. 
following other gods and serving and worshiping them. I think a real sad thing, and I have heard it many times, that there are people who have told me here in this country that things were better in the days of Noriega. Anybody ever heard that besides me? Yeah, a couple of people. I do know that Noriega's police rode the streets at night, and if you had no taillights or headlights, they'd pull you over. That, would be, that was a good part of that. But now there's no supervision at night, and it doesn't even matter if you have any lights out there. I've seen vehicles with absolutely no lights at all. Some of them government vehicles <laughs> as well. But how quickly people can remember what they say were some of the good things. But they forget the tyranny and the fear that was there. How quickly the Israelites forgot and they wanted to go back to Egypt, back to slavery, back to all that. You know why? Because of the food. Leeks and garlics and onions. Because of the food. They said, we want to go back. I mean, I don't like garlic that much to go back into slavery. Go back miles and miles. Oh, the good old days. But God always is moving us on and he's wanting us to dump the things that hinder our walk and move on in freedom and in greater freedom. And what breaks the heart of God is for people to turn back into the very things that he delivered them from. The coming out of the Red Sea was a visual picture for the church that it closed behind them, not only killing their enemies, but preventing them from going back. That's the heart of God. They refused to give up their stubborn ways, it says in verse 19. Then 20, then the Lord was very angry with Israel because this nation had violated, had violated the covenant that I laid down for their forefathers and has not listened to me. I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations Joshua left when he died. I will use them to test Israel and see whether they will keep the ways of the Lord and walk in it as their forefathers did. The Lord had allowed those nations to remain. He did not drive them out at once by giving them into the hands of Joshua. If you read the book of Judges, some of the judges' lives are quite insignificant. They only have a couple verses. And then some are several chapters, like Gideon. But the scripture shows us through Judges that this is what the spiritual life of Israel looked like. They were growing spiritually. Those people who knew the Lord died out. The nation went just like this. It didn't go like that. It went gradually. As it went down and got lower, then they found their enemies came in to oppress them. They cried out to God. God raised up a judge. A judge came, a leader like Gideon, Samson, other people, and turned the nation back to God. They repented of their sins. They got rid of their idols, and they found victory as long as that judge lived. But when that judge died, and the people who had known of that deliverance then they turned away again. And so their spiritual life was like this. Now we can blame them and say, I understand, because they did not have the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit was poured out after Jesus died on the cross. So we today have the presence of the Holy Spirit to sustain us, strengthen us, guide us, to protect us, and to keep us from falling back. But God has never taken away our free will. And so any person in this congregation, Neil, any person in Panama has the free will no matter how much they have seen the working of God in their life or in their family, God has still given them that choice to walk away from it all. And they have. I just want to say this in summary. Over the next few weeks, I am sure you'll hear this as a recurring theme about praying for Panama. Panama is in a very strategic place in the world, physically geographically. You walk out of church and you see that canal. 35 ships a day, more or less, pass from all over the world. This canal provides goods and services and military protection to people all around the world, flowing right through that channel out there, right through there. God has blessed this nation Beautiful coastlines, jungles, lake, habitation of all kinds of animals and birds and beauties. God has blessed this nation financially better than all the other Latin American countries. There's a much higher standard of living here. Things are much more accessible in this nation. And yet, in this nation, the corruption does not cease. From government to government, it just changes hands who has the hold of the corruption. The mentality doesn't change of corruption. Corruption is a spiritual problem. And then there's the problem, and the why, and, and by the way, corruption breeds the whole thing of drug trafficking and everything. So getting rid of the drug traffickers isn't really the problem in the country. It's a surface problem. The other general area which this country can easily fall under the judgment of God is in the whole area of immorality. 72% of children born are born illegitimately. The, the a tremendous amount of gay and lesbian community, the immorality, although people have gotten married in the church and everything else, have two or three boyfriends or two or three girlfriends on the side, one poor girl I was talking to the other day said her father has had, uh, or her mother has had six different husbands. Six of them. Bing, 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 bing. And she happened to be born to one of them, and then he's gone on, and he's had X number of wives and girlfriends on the side. It's just so, so sad. But this dysfunction breeds the next generation of dysfunction, which breeds the next generation of dysfunction, which is not a social problem for Panama. It is a spiritual problem. Because when you change the heart, you change the nation. You change the families. You change the families. You change the government. You change the whole nation. And then the third area is that even though people are in the church, there is still the strong influence of the occult, of witchcraft, 
of people having secret little shrines and little portions and and uh, and uh, there's so much of it. Many of you in this church have told me how things have been done against you. Things have been done against this church. Things have been done against me personally. And I can sense it in the spirit. And sometimes I didn't know what, what it was. But I felt I was going under like a spiritual blanket until an, a lady evangelist was here one night a few years ago and she didn't know me from anything and I stood here and she prayed for me and the power of God came upon me and I was hanging onto the side of the pew and I just was sinking to the floor with the presence of God came on me and set me free from that curse that someone had sought to put on me, that assignment of the devil against me. And many times we don't blame everything on that, but there is so much of that, even among people who are in the church, let alone the people outside of the church, so that people live in fear of this. To the extent that when they come out of this type of background and they have a father or a mother or a grandfather or a grandmother who's been into Santeria or into some kind of witchcraft, of some kind of potions and spells and curses, that even though they're a Christian, unless they learn the power in the name of Jesus and in the power of the blood of Jesus, they still feel they have to keep this little side door open to appease the devil or to appease the demons or in case they need help. Well, prayer didn't help. The doctors didn't help. I think I'll go to this guy over here because he's got this little potion, you know, and you drink this and you do that and all this thing. You know the stories in this country better than I do. I know lots of them, but you know many of them yourselves that I don't know. The thing is, According to this scripture and many other scriptures, immorality, worship of demons and devils and idols, and corruption, a proud heart that will not look to the creator and say, I'm just a creature. But in the proud heart and then the arrogance and then the corruption and the ripping off of the poor and gathering things which they cannot take in past the grave anyways, God says, my judgment is there. Upon individuals, upon nations, I am not saying that everything, that natural disaster and every war in the world is the consequences of disobeying God, but I will say this. The scripture says that the war that's in the world is nothing more than a projection of the war that's in the heart of every person. The wars between nations are simply the wars of individuals blown up on a bigger scale. That's all it is. Instead of throwing things around the kitchen, we throw missiles at each other, see? And that's where the call of God is to us as a congregation for this nation, for this own church, for our families, is repentance in these areas. There's a fourth area. That was brought to my attention yesterday. I don't know of it here in this church, but this pastor reminded me and said, Pastor Wilbur, there are churches here in Panama where there is immorality going on, even in the leadership. God will not tolerate this. God is patient to bring forgiveness and let people repent. But without repentance, God will bring it down. Because this is a joke in his face. It's mocking him. 
A few weeks, a couple weeks ago, Jennifer stood here and gave a report of what happened over at the base when the indigenous kids were praying. And one of the girls spoke forth really in a prophetic way to the rest of the students and said, if we come for our time of praise and worship and we are just flippant about it, if we just are casual and it's not serious, we are mocking God. And God is a holy God. He's only patient because of the blood of Jesus and he loves us. But there is a time limit to all that. And so as I bring this to a conclusion here, I want to thank you for listening. But I'd like you to examine your own heart and say, God, where have I compromised? Where have I said I'll love you and I'll follow you, Lord, but where have I compromised? Where are the areas in my life which I am giving place to the devil?